I'll be reading Mark 3, verses 31 to 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. Romans 12, verses 9 to 13. Let love be genuine. Auburn, what is evil? Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Adieu one another and showing honor. Do not be slowful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Thank you, Liam, for reading today's passages. Today, we begin our winter sermon series, Better Together. We're not a crowd, we are family. What does it mean to be family? We get glimpses of family at the rites of passage events of our journey, births, graduations, weddings, and burials. On December 29th, our extended Weeb family stood together in minus 10 degree centigrade temperatures at the graveside of my Aunt Tina. Her children described her as the matriarch of her extended family. Uh, Six children and their spouses, 17 grandchildren, and 30 great-grandchildren. She was fiercely loyal to each family member, prayed for and encouraged each one often. She always ended each visit or phone call with an, I love you. She loved well. So why would we brave minus 10 degree centigrade temperatures in late December? Because we loved Antina. We're family. We grieve with, sing with, and pray with the family. We stand with them. And when my father, who is in his 95th year, passes on, they will stand with us at his graveside. These are the bonds of family. Dictionary.com defines the nuclear family as a group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. The extended family is a group of people related to one another by blood or marriage. It includes all the descendants of a common ancestor. If that is the, de- the definition of biological family, what does it mean to be a spiritual family? In order to have this conversation, we need to ground ourselves in some foundational truths found in Scripture. Not my truth or your truth My truth and your truth is actually of little value in this conversation because our desire to be a spiritual family will be tested by life circumstances, like a pandemic, competing opinions, uh, personality differences, cultural currents, and our spiritual enemy, Satan. He does not want us to experience the beauty and wonder of spiritual family. He will fight against us at every turn. We need an understanding of spiritual family grounded in the eternal truths found in God's word to us. So here's the first point. We base our understanding of spiritual family on the scriptures. Allow me to go into apologetics mode for a few minutes. In recent decades, 
Some have tried to undermine core biblical truth by suggesting that the scriptures are not trustworthy. One will hear statements like this one from Bart Ehrman, found in his book, Misquoting Jesus, the story behind who changed the Bible and why. He writes this, What good is it to say that the autographs, i.e. the originals, were inspired? We don't have the originals. We have only error-ridden copies, and the vast majority of these are centuries removed from the originals and different from them, evidently, in thousands of ways. Ehrman claims that the Bible is full of errors and contradictions, centuries removed from the life of Jesus and different from the originals in thousands of ways. According to Ehrman, all we have is a human book, a sort of spiritual travel journal reflecting the thinking of some ancient Jews and Christians. You might find something inspired in the Bible every now and then, but nothing authoritative for our times. So is he right? What is the truth about the scriptures? Here are a few things that can be said in response. Firstly, the oldest church confession is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 through 5. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now, most scholars, even liberal, skeptical ones, agree that this confession containing core gospel truths began circulating two to seven years after Jesus' resurrection. That's pretty close to the time of Jesus, I'd say. Even Ehrman writes that these verses put the Christian faith in a nutshell. Additionally, we can say with certainty that the core of the New Testament canon, those books considered inspired, the core was established by the end of the first century, not centuries removed. We have the accounts of eyewitnesses. The oldest fragment of scripture that we have is John 18, verse 37. It reads, Then Pilate said to him, So you were a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That fragment is dated to about 50 to 80 years after the trial of Jesus. These words preserve the reason for Jesus' coming, to bear witness to the truth, so that we would know it and not have to live by our truth. Is the Bible we have in our hands the one the New Testament church had? I remember having a conversation with a Turkish Muslim about faith in God. Our conversation turned to the scriptures, the Bible for Christians and the Quran for Muslims. He questioned the reliability of our Bible, so I asked him, how many ancient manuscripts do we have to support the New Testament? He wasn't sure, but he estimated between zero and five. Here's the truth. Not my truth or his truth. We have more than 5,000 ancient manuscripts in the original Greek that serve as a foundation for our New Testament. If you compare these ancient manuscripts, you can determine how close our New Testament is to the original documents. There are variants, but none of them alter the core teachings of the Christian faith. Even Ehrman, the one who said we have only error-ridden copies, considers the differences between manuscripts to be of no consequence. Conclusion, our New Testament has been preserved with an astounding degree of accuracy. In fact, 
No other work of ancient classical literature even comes close. We have thousands of copies from different time periods, theological traditions, and parts of the world all basically saying the same thing. We have the scriptures of the first century church. We have the teachings of Jesus preserved, and he bore witness to the truth. So as followers of Jesus, our quest is to understand God's will for us as revealed in the scriptures. Instead of being conformed to the latest thought currents and behavioral patterns of society around us, we seek to be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. God's will is good and acceptable and perfect in every area of our lives, including our family relationships. The gospel of Jesus enables us to consider spiritual family from God's perspective. It begins with creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of our holy, loving creator who has existed in loving relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity. Our primary identity is found in God, not in our self-identification according to race, class, gender, sexual preference, and so on. God created us as beings in relationship, male and female. According to Scripture, all human beings have a strong desire and need for relational intimacy. So here's our second point. God has designed us for spiritual family. This is a biblical conviction which serves as a foundation for this message. In Paul's letter to the Romans, one of his pressing concerns is precisely this. What does it mean to be the family of God? And why is he so concerned about this? Well, allow me to provide some context. The Roman house churches, they were most likely founded by unnamed Jewish Christians returning to Rome from Pentecost celebrations in Jerusalem, as mentioned in Acts chapter 2. Interestingly, only 16 years after Pentecost, Roman historians were already talking about the Christ in Rome. For the first few decades, the church was dominated by Jewish Christians, but the situation changed dramatically in 49 AD when the emperor Claudius expelled all Jews from Rome. In the absence of the Jews, Following their expulsion, the churches of Rome became increasingly Gentile, that is, non-Jewish in their makeup and leadership. When Paul wrote Romans around 57 AD, the Roman authorities were quietly allowing Jews to return to Rome, but the returning Jewish Christians returned to a church that was now dominated by non-Jews. The situation was ripe for social and theological tension. We can imagine non-Jewish Christians wanting to move further and further away from the regulations of Judaism, like food laws and holy days. While Jewish Christians, feeling they were losing something precious, would hold on even more tightly to their ancestral customs. How much of the Old Testament was relevant for them? Jews and non-Jews were in the same church, but they saw the Christian life somewhat differently. Could they walk as one body? We might ask today, can all of the languages, ethnicities, and nations represented in the Willingdon Church family be one in Jesus? Can first and second generation immigrants be churched together? Can boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, Gen Zers, and Generation Alpha be churched together? 
We talk about being an intercultural, intergenerational church family, but is it even possible to be one? These are critical questions in our day. The book of Romans is about how God's new work in Jesus can integrate all peoples and all generations into one new people, one family. Theologian N.T. Wright declares this, Romans gives us an indication of what the gospel looks like when it takes root in multi-ethnic churches in the tenements of a pagan city. In Paul's mind, justification by faith means fellowship by faith. This letter written to the Romans, well, it's for us. Living in Metro Vancouver in the 21st century, Paul's answer for the Roman church and the society within which it lives and his answer for us It's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ must inform us and transform us. Romans 1 verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul believes in the power of the gospel to transform lives. What is it that we proclaim to ourselves and others? First, we're honest, we're genuine. We admit we are sinners. Romans 3, verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We own this. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, we are all self-centered and self-seeking. We are judgmental, unloving, and hypocritical. We are broken, wounded, sinful people. Not one of us becomes a member of the church family based on our resume. We are sinners. But, and here is the reason for celebration. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were separated from him and rebellious, God loved us unconditionally. Love. Everyone talks about love. Our North American pop culture is filled with movies, songs, and social media posts that talk about love. But what does it mean to love? Third point, God defines what it means to love. God fills the word love with meaning. He sent his only son, Jesus, for our salvation. Jesus became one of us, revealed the Father to us, and went to the cross to pay the price for our sin. He died for us. He loved us unconditionally before we ever had a thought about him. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our salvation is based on Jesus' work, not ours. On our own, we stand condemned, guilty, under shame. But Jesus puts us in the right with God as we surrender to him, entrust ourselves to him, and confess him as Lord. We deserve death, but God has gifted us with life through Jesus. We all enter the church family by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus. What does this mean for our relationships in the church family? Romans chapter 10, verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
All who trust in Jesus are sons and daughters of the Father. There's no partiality. We can all call God Abba. We are bound by the blood which flows from Jesus' wounds. We all live by the Spirit of God sent to abide in us. By God's grace, the Spirit unites us into an eternal spiritual family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have made it possible for us to be family. This has been the biblical teaching of the historic Christian church since the first century. What does this mean for us practically? Well, we exercise grace because we have received grace. We love each member of the church family unconditionally because we have been loved unconditionally. John, the disciple of Jesus, writes 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In Romans 12, 9, Paul writes, let love be genuine, or love must be sincere. It stands like a title for the paragraph. It's commonly believed that the word sincere comes from two Latin words, sine, without, and sera, wax. Although this understanding is challenged by some academics, it nicely illustrates what Paul is intending to say in verse 9. During the time of the Roman Empire, marble workers and sculptors would cover imperfections in the stone with wax much as antique dealers might rub wax to hide a scratch in wood today. A sincere work of marble or a sincere sculpture was a work without wax, without wax covering the cracks and crevices. It was authentic or genuine. Genuine love is not fake news. Genuine love pours itself out on behalf of others without wax. When describing a life pleasing to God, love always heads the list. All that Jesus says, all that Paul says, is embraced by a call to love God and love one another. Love is to govern and shape all of our relationships. Fourth point, we are to love our spiritual family as God loves us. Look at verse 10 in Romans chapter 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The words love one another are words often used to describe the love between parents and children. The words with brotherly affection are words used to describe the tender love between siblings. Paul is saying that the church is to be an extended family in which disciples of Jesus have natural affection for one another. He will write more about intergenerational family and uh, relationships in his letters, 1 and 2 Timothy. Certainly in the church today, we need to recover this vision for spiritual friendship, a vision of human connection in which soul is knit to soul across the generations. Maxine Hancock, former professor at Regent College, argues that very few structures in contemporary Western culture encourage the formation of intergenerational friendships. Recreational, social, and church activities are often age-defined, leaving the generations separated. But she says, in the church family, it can be different. She writes this about her church family friendships, and I quote her. Over the years, older friends have offered me their practical help their lives as examples, their encouraged nods and words of counsel based on long life experience and the support and the support of their love and prayers. Only now, as I have become the older friend in friendship equations, have I come to recognize all that younger friends provide, youthful enthusiasm and ambition, fresh ideas, and the delight they give me of reliving, simply by being with them, the earlier stages of my life. 
Young parents bring little children into my life with a happy exuberance and chaos children create. My single younger friends share their dreams and career plans or the latest book they've been reading or writing. Young friends make me smile. (laughs) In our Canadian society, very sadly, intergenerational friendship and family have been eclipsed by our obsession with sex and sexual activity. We have elevated the romantic relationship as the most fulfilling relationship possible, the supreme relationship that trumps all others. We need to remember that Scripture does not have this perspective. Jesus does not have this perspective. What is God's word to lonely people, irrespective of their marital status, gender, racial, or ethnic background, who are searching for relational intimacy? Is there a way for all people made in the image of God to live full, rich lives within God's good will? Here's the good news. Jesus had a new vision for spiritual family. Listen to his words in Mark chapter 3, 31 to 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are defined by our union with Jesus, doing the will of his Father. That is, loving one another. Not everyone can be a spouse or a parent, but everyone can be a spiritual friend, a brother or a sister in the family of God. Not every adult can be a biological parent, but every adult can be a spiritual parent. Biblically, singles are not single in the body of Christ. Singles united to Jesus are inextricably united to every other person in the body of Christ. Sometimes marriage is presented as an all-sufficient relationship that can and will meet all our relational needs. Marriage is awesome, but this vision does a disservice to the married and to the single. Marriage is not the cure for loneliness. A relationship with the living God is the cure, and this relationship with Jesus is to be supported and nurtured by church family relationships. These are the eternal relationships. So fifth point. We are to be family to one another across the generations. When our family lived in Brazil, we had no relatives in Sao Paulo, but we had the church family. Judy and I had mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in the church family. Our children had cousins, uncles, and aunts in the church family. We were included. When our oldest daughter was married in Montreal, members of our Brazilian church family were there. Why? Because we're family. Paul ends this paragraph in Romans with these words in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The first phrase is literally enter into fellowship with the needs of the saints. Be generous with food and clothing and housing. A few members of my life group are struggling with illness. So one couple suggested we go to their homes and sing carols during the week before Christmas. My wife and I were going to join them, but Judy came down with COVID. So we joined them by FaceTime as the life group went from home to home. Caroling through FaceTime doesn't sound that great, but hey, 
We're a family. And then over the Christmas weekend, while we were in isolation, we experienced the love of the church family through texts, emails, phone calls, and meals. We were blessed with Mexican, Portuguese, South African, Brazilian, and North American cuisine. What a buffet! What a blessing to be a member of the church family. The family stood with us. This is what God has for every one of us. Paul encourages us to be hospitable to one another and to newcomers. Hospitality literally means kindness to strangers. Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book entitled The Gospel Comes with a House Key. In her book, she asks these questions. What did God use to draw a radical, committed unbeliever to himself? Did God take her to an evangelistic rally? Or since she had her doctorate in literature, did he use something in print? What did God use to draw a professor of literature and women's studies at Syracuse University to himself? God used an invitation to dinner in a modest home from a humble couple who lived out the gospel daily, simply and authentically. God wants to use this same radical, ordinary hospitality to bring the gospel to our friends and neighbors. The climax of what Paul calls the church family too is found near the end of his letter. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As we welcome those who look, think, believe, and act differently from us in our, into our everyday, sometimes messy lives, our homes and small groups, they will have an opportunity to see what true Christian faith really looks like. So here's the sixth point. The spiritual family of God welcomes all with generous hospitality. Chapter 15 ends with this benediction. This is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. As we trust in Jesus to lead us, may we be filled with joy and peace. Jesus can form us into a wonderful spiritual family reflecting his likeness. May we abound in hope as we live in this direction in 2022. To be a spiritual family marked by love, without wax. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us in Jesus. Jesus, you have loved us unconditionally, and it's because of your love for us that we can love one another. And so, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you produce in love, in us, that fruit of, of the Spirit, that fruit of love. And may we not only love those within the church family, but also those that you bring to us. Oh God, may we embrace all in your name. May we welcome all as you have welcomed us. And so we entrust ourselves to you. Be glorified in us, through us, in 2022 as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to leave some questions for your reflection.